I just took a DNA test and turns out 2024 is my year. Yes, most of you spent Christmas with Santa, but I spent Christmas with Kathy. Oh, oh <laughs> my God. We need to talk about that, by the way. <laughs> we need to discuss the difference in our holiday schleps. Because no. <laughs> I think there are just some subtle differences. Uh, you guys, it's Andy's Girls. Happy New Year. So excited about this episode and this incredible return guest. You know her as the co-host of Daily Blast Live and the NAACP awards-nominated host of Come Back with Erica Cobb, a podcast and social media show I have been delighted to guest on. I highly, highly recommend it to anybody looking for, honestly, an incredible medley of deep dives. Welcome back to Andy's Girls, Erica Cobb. Erica, how are we? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Dame. I'm so happy to be back. You know I love you. I love Andy's Girls. This is this is amazing. Well, you know I love you. And I feel like so... I don't even remember how this because, ha- you know, you're like always you're never far from my mind. So it's like we were talking <laughs> about have you coming back on and then you sent me like a message or a text or something. And it was like, yeah, and so and so I'd love to talk about and so and so and so and I was yeah. like, oh, shit, I could record this immediately. Like I could have <laughs> recorded this episode over DM, which wouldn't have been great for people who don't have access to my Instagram, but they can go fuck themselves because <laughs> I just feel like someone literally fully prepared and just ready to go is uh, my dream sitch. But before we get into all things housewifery, so where are you? What have your holiday plans been like? Um, mention it all. Well, I am currently wrapping up my time in Canada. Uh, My husband's Canadian. So we have been in the Alberta area um, for the past almost week. So this is the end of our our little stint with my in-laws who are lovely and amazing. Thank God. Um, (laughs) I love them so much. And my family loves their family. It's like, it's just the perfect situation. So we come and spend like a week here and it is awesome. I'm in my father-in-law's office right now. (laughs) He's like, take it away. (laughs) So there's no fighting over sprinkle cookies. You brought pinoli cookies to Christmas Eve. Oh, shoot. But I was supposed to ask my mother-in-law if sprinkle cookies were acceptable because she's Italian. Okay, maybe I maybe I can yell up at the end of this. <laughs> I would love to hear from her. I have heard from some Italian AGs that it's like, but everybody has a difference of opinion, but they're like, they're mm-hmm. not great. Now, I happen to be Italian, but like, I mean. A pizza bagel? I'm a pizza bagel, number one. <laughs> number two, it's like, you know, grandma and grandpa, my grandpa Reno Galley would make like homemade pizzas before every galley. Um family gathering. We had annual galley reunions. Shout out any Rhode Islanders. We would gather every year at Goddard Park, just like over a hundred galleys. And I would chase like fucking tadpoles and frogs in a pond (laughs) while my my grandpa would cook cow's tongues and frog's legs and pig's ears and like all these wonderful culinary delights. Um, Mm -hmm. But I happen to be, I guess, trash. My favorite cookie 
probably tied with peanut butter is a sprinkle cookie. I love a sprinkle <laughs> cookie. I know that they seem like very artificial and manufactured, but that's why I love them. Mm, yeah, I I mean, I, I, I could get down with any cookie, I, to be quite honest. I Yeah, that's just where I sit on that. <laughs> I also love a stale cookie. Okay, like, now I got to draw the I know. line. Mm-hmm. I'm trash. Yep. I'm telling you, I'm trash. <laughs> um, so speaking of the opposite of trash, just a little bit of treasure. What is this whole you so you went to Kathy Hilton's Christmas party? Like, you need to tell me everything from invite to showing up to what you experienced, who you interacted with. How did that take place? How did it all go down? Yeah, so um I became a direct TV uh content creator at towards the end of the year. And it was um, it, kind of the focus was on Sports Hub because I've been a Bronco season ticket holder for the past 10 years. And it was kind of like that. Then it just so happened that the campaign fell in the middle of BravoCon. So I had all of my BravoCon content because, of course, I was there in the press room and they were like, oh, wait, <laughs> you're, you're like really into Bravo. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And then the Kathy Hilton Christmas party thing came up. And I was like, yes, I have to be there. So yeah, I went to um, I went to Beverly Hills because I live in Denver and uh, I was there. It was like on a Tuesday or something, Tuesday or Wednesday. So I went and um, it was really cool. It was, it was, it was low key, lower key than I thought it was going to be. But of course it was high key because it was like, Kathy Hilton's house and everyone, you know, a lot of people were there and there was the red carpet and all that. Um, but yeah, we just drove up and I was surprised how open the house was. And I also was really surprised by how, like, I felt like I had been there before because we've seen, you know, the staircase and the, and the dining room and like all of these different pieces from shows. So it was weird to like, just be hanging out in her house and everyone was so lovely like i had to go by myself and i was really nervous about it because you just don't have I, i'm not a hollywood person you know i just don't I'm, that's not my natural environment <laughs> so to be there by myself i was really concerned but i had reached out to crystal because i keep missing her on the red carpet at BravoCon. And I was like, hey, are you going to be at Kathy Hilton's house? And she's like, yeah. So um, she was so nice. She came over and like gave me a big hug. And, um, and, and Rob was with her. And I was getting ready to take a picture in front of the Christmas tree. So I was like so nervous and awkward. I was like, hey, why don't y'all take a picture with me? Oh, so then I got the awkward. That's not awkward. Yeah. No, everybody takes photos. I think that's great. You got to go for yeah. it. You got to shoot your shot. A hundred percent. Yeah. So that was kind of my icebreaker. And then I was just like walking around and people were talking to me like completely normal. Like I thought I was going to be in the middle of, you know, like kind of on the side observing. But by the time I realized that I hadn't gotten a drink at all or made it to the bar because I was talking to so many people, it was like time for me to go. So <laughs> It was, yeah, it went by really fast. It was, but it was a lot of fun. They brought snow in, which everyone was really excited about. And I was like, y'all, I'm trying to escape the snow. (laughs) Um, 
but this is great. Yeah. Like all the signature cocktails that were, you know, surrounded like by Bravo and other reality shows. And yeah, there were a bunch of Bravo celebrities there and it was a lot of fun. So did you interact with Kathy at all? Uh, only to say hi. Yeah. And I was like, hi, thank you. <laughs> like, just that kind of fun. like, I'm in your house because it wasn't a huge event. I mean, there might've been, I would say maybe a hundred people. It wasn't, and that's a big house. Like that area is really big. So you weren't like, you know, you could see the landscape. It was, it wasn't a ton of people all crowded in. Was Kyle there? Kim? Kyle and Paris Kim were Nikki? there. Yeah. Uh, Nikki was there. Paris wasn't. Okay. Um, but yeah, Kyle, Kim and Kathy all walked the red carpet together. Um, yeah. Another interesting thing on the red carpet was I feel bad because it, it's so Teddy is such a, uh, you know, polarizing figure uh-huh, and bug. people give her <laughs> such a hard time. But yeah, I yeah. was like watching her at one point I turned and I saw Teddy watching Kyle doing an interview with the um, news outlet next to hers. And she was like mouthing what Kyle was saying. And she was just looking at her so, so adoringly. And I was like, you know what? I don't even care. Like that, that she loves that woman. Like Mm -hmm. Teddy loves her some Kyle. And you know what? I'm not mad at that. We could all use a friend who just really loves us. And that girl loved Kyle. She loves her. I completely agree. And also there was a a moment that Dorit mentioned on the uh, most recent episode where she said something along the lines of like, Kyle is morphing into Morgan. And that's kind of what Teddy did with Kyle. Like when you think about the brunette era, when you just think about the fact that she is, I I don't know there. I think that there's being very close friends and then an absurd level of ass kissing and just protectiveness and and you kind of hope for that, I guess, for a certain extent, to a certain extent from friends. And maybe she's front fra- facing, only defensive and defending Kyle. And maybe behind the scenes, she has more constructive critique. I doubt that's what's going on. But yeah, they definitely have a genuine sisterhood style relationship. Like, I think they are going to be close in each other's lives for forever. I would actually be curious if Ted, not that we'll ever know this, but like if Teddy has ever said anything close to what Dorit said or anything in the future that she might make a similar comparison with like, I feel like I've been replaced with Morgan. I don't get that sense. Yeah. Well, I think um, Dorit has a tendency to morph into other people as well. Um, and Teddy will know if there's a bump in the road or some kind of miscommunication because she's going to start to say things that she wouldn't have said about Kyle. It'll be very subtle. So we'll have to wait for it. It'll start very subtly because I've had this happen. Like I've had friends who have been like some of my, I would consider them my ride or die. We would never, ever break up. And then something happens and they go from like emulating everything you do to all of a sudden you are the devil. So like, I, I, I am the devil beast to some people walking around looking just like me, um, like, oh my dressing like me, God. using all of my people. Yes. But then they turn on you because you can't, I had this conversation with Candy and it was very, 
it was very illuminating um, in some degrees because she said, I said, you know, Candy, what have we learned about boundaries? Because you bring these people in, you support them. There's one thing, Candy's a supportive queen. Okay. She's like a million percent. Like I want you to get fed. I'm going to get fed. We all going to eat together, but people turn on her. And it's almost like this thing where if someone admires you too much, and then they start putting you on a pedestal when you don't reciprocate their friendship language in the way that they want or need in that moment. There's a lot of resentment that gets built up there and they turn from like your best friend to your number one op. So I'm not saying I'm looking for that with Teddy, but if we start hearing less than favorable things about Kyle from Teddy, that's what happens. I mean, I don't even think she would permit Tamara to say anything overly shady. Like right she now. Really, right now. Unless she feels like she's being replaced. Unless her position is being, if, if someone is messing with her position, which Morgan is right now, but she's playing this, oh, we're all friends thing. But if she, there's going to be something where Kyle's going to be too much friendly or too much more friendly with um with Morgan and Teddy is going to have a problem with it and maybe they'll fix it maybe they won't but if she says something less than favorable trust me it is happening it also depends on how a person views Kyle and Morgan's relationship because mm-hmm. to read on the after show is like they're good friends moving on Versus if Teddy views their relationship in a different way, that might make a person less competitive because the role that's being filled isn't necessarily a best friend or a best friend alone. You know, that can help Teddy and Kyle's relationship because there's just a little bit more of a separation, even though obviously there's a lot of emotional intimacy and investment between Kyle and Morgan's burgeoning friendship and, you know, what has existed for several years with Kyle and Teddy. Yeah, I, yes, and... (laughs) The way you said I've, that. <laughs> I loved it, loved it, loved it. I think what, what when we'll really know is next season, if there's zero Teddy on Beverly Hills, then it could potentially uh, turn into a break. Because I think there's still hope out there that she could return from Teddy. Oh, from Teddy. <laughs> Just like singular hope, independent yeah. hope from everybody else's feelings. Yeah, she said something. I can't believe we're talking this much about Teddy Joe. It's the best birthday <laughs> of her life. Um, but there's something that she said recently where she was like, you know, they wanted me at Taco Tuesday or whatever event it was. I, I honestly forget which. But I wasn't going to sign on and just be a cameo and whatever else. And she was sort of saying it like it was a punishment that she wasn't present. And I'm thinking like... I don't think we're viewing your cameo in the same way. And I genuinely think she's like withholding appearances in the hopes that she could friend of or probably more importantly to her, honestly, understandably so, is return full time. And I'm thinking, my God, let's keep that threat forever and ever. Amen. Yeah. See, I think um, when I because I made a comment about um Kyle bringing Teddy on as her emotional support person to watch what happens live when Andy was like, just not here for Teddy at all. Oh, an an incredible episode, by the way. Wonderful television. 
Oh my gosh. So awkward. And, um, I, I, I think that if they were going to bring Teddy back in any capacity, this would have been the season to do it because Kyle really needs a lot of emotional support after her friend unalived herself. And so I think that it's also like an indication that Kyle doesn't have the ability to necessarily bring her on in that because I could see her surrounding, especially with the Fox force disbanding and all of that. Um, yeah, I, I think that that was a pretty clear indication that that's not going to happen because they should have allowed Kyle a little bit more support this year. That's a great point. And it also just kind of makes me think about the edit, but also motivations of the rest of the cast this year, because there has been this ongoing conversation about Kyle's changed behavior, what's mm-hmm. going on in her life. And you know, as I do, as anyone who follows Kyle's social or press reports or anything else, that she had suffered this great loss that had preceded filming of the current season. And it's just kind of odd to me that Mm -hmm. in all of these conversations by Sutton, by other members of the cast, nobody is referencing that because they all know that it happened. I'm sure Kyle talked about it, I assume, prior to the, you know, scene that we saw filmed with her life coach. It just was a decision by production to begin that part of her story, you know, on the most recent app. It's just kind of odd that nobody has connected that, at least in what we've seen air. Well, it's not surprising because, like, historically, Beverly Hills was the franchise that brought in something as dark as domestic violence and someone unaliving themselves with Russell. So it might be in an effort to make this season a little lighter. Also, there's a common thread because um, Sutton talked about her father unaliving himself. And I think it might just be too dark for people to touch. But at the same time, like, I mean, I was saying that I, well, actually this time, almost to the day, two years ago, I got the call that someone very close to me had unalived themselves. And um, yeah, thank you. She was kind of like my, um, she was really like an accountability person in my life. And for like three days a week, I started my day with her for like, we would go through our meditative sessions and, um, you know, a lot of like, kind of like yoga. And it was like a big a practice for me. And the idea was um, that if you, if you can, if you can keep up, you don't have to catch up, you know? And so it was really important. And she was a really important person to me, like um, spent holidays at my home. So um, when that happened, my immediate thing was, you know, it was grief, but immediately the next call I made without even thinking was to a friend who um, was a, a personal trainer And I was like, listen, you have to be at my house these days at this time, starting tomorrow. Like I never, I couldn't have one day where something was off. And then the rest of it, it took me over a year to work through it. But I immediately, my first thing without even thinking was to replace that time that I spent with this person because I thought it was going to take me to such a dark place that I wasn't going to be able to recover. So 
in a lot of um in a lot of ways I kind of understand the Kyle Morgan thing because it's it's almost it's just instinctual like you have to replace this piece but the thing is you can't replace that person you can replace the time so you're not thinking about it but there's always going to be you know something that is of them you know so it it's a weird it's a weird place to be in and i'm finally getting to a place 2 years later where i'm like okay this is what happened this is what i did to cope now i can think about it for what it is and i can move forward but i feel like Kyle is putting all of these things in her friend's place and that might be a reason why she's you know obviously it's changed her a lot but that could be a part of her struggle as well well first off i have to thank you so much for sharing that and i'm so sorry for the loss that you suffered and um it, so many great points and you made so many great points and the nuance of it is so complicated because who's to say that Kyle and Morgan wouldn't have gone the exact direction that they had gone in without this huge trauma-filled, grief-stricken loss, except we don't really know. We don't know how a person's decisions and life might be shaped had this thing not happened because it's such a devastating event that there's really the sliding doors of it all, which I don't know if you've seen that movie. I mean, I feel no. like I need to watch it 10 more times. It's it's incredible. It's, oh my God, I want to say John Hanna, but I think I'm fucking that up. So apologies to the actor who I might have uh, misnamed, but um, it's Gwyneth Paltrow. It's a British film from probably 20 years ago. And it's about sort of a sliding doors experience of what happens if this one thing, uh, if this one decision had been different. Let's follow the life of this person. Had life continued on and let's follow the life of this person um, had they gone in a different way. And it's the difficulty when you're dealing with trauma and grief is often a lot of us who are dealing with any kind of traumatic event um not specific necessarily to what you've experienced, but when you've dealt with a extreme episode of trauma or grief, it's so hard not to think in those terms, let alone um, act in a way that's different to how you felt as a result of that event or directly prior. Like it's just, it gets mm -hmm. so complicated because you have to kind of envision a world in which this thing didn't happen, which to me is a natural yeah. mechanism of just trying to protect myself. But once you go to that space, to me, just my personal experience, it's like everything gets so muddled because then I'm just focusing on the, you know, what if this thing hadn't happened? And sometimes you can kind of like get lost at sea with that. It's, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I mean, obviously Kyle is always going to Kyle because she's a professional and this is her job and this is what she's going to do. But there, to me, I can't stop just because that's, you know, what I'm resonating with. I can't stop feeling like, okay, are you trying to create, have this relationship fulfill this need that you have for someone to kind of be your everything, but, or everything. And, you know, um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. Cause you're like, Kyle, why are you doing that? But you're also like, damn girl, like sis, you okay? 
Like that's deep, deep. Yeah. And I want to know more about the ways that in Kyle's words and in her experience that Mauricio didn't support her in the way Mm. that she needs, because that's something that she has mentioned. And I'm just curious. I assume this will be a big part of the reunion conversation. I don't know that it will happen prior to that. But I would really like to know more about their relationship and on a level of emotional intimacy, what was it that she needed? What was it that she expected? What was it that she communicated? What was it that she felt after, what, 30 years or however long it's been that she Mm -hmm. didn't need to communicate, that maybe she Uh, He hasn't needed to communicate to her previously with other events, and she's just been there in the ways that she felt was necessary. Like that, that to me is something that hasn't been unpacked because, you know, again, we're only now in the most recent episode having this as a part of the episode structure itself. There's a lot there to unpack. I agree. I also think that you have to be it's important that we all have friendships and relationships outside of like our intimate, you know, partners or our marriages or whatever it is. But at the same time, I come from a school of thought because I was just raised this way, but you don't give like intimate details about your relationship to other people because like, so And I know people are going to disagree with this and that's fine. I mean, everyone do their thing. But when my husband and I got married, my dad stood up and gave a speech, although I hadn't, I did not schedule said speech, but (laughs) dads, am I right? Am I right? Parents? Okay. (laughs) My dad's like, I'm going to talk. Okay. And we were like adults, you know, we were 35 when we got married and uh, my dad goes, listen, uh, I'm just going to tell you. Your mama, Anthony's daddy, Anthony's mama. I don't want to hear about when y'all fighting and fussing, okay? Nobody needs to know when you're fighting and fussing because what happens is y'all off somewhere making babies and we still mad at y'all. And <laughs> she's like, she's like, keep other people out of your relationship. And while I have conversations with my friends about like, you know, relationship stuff, I really don't go into the inner workings of my relationship because if it's something that we got into together, it's something that we need to resolve together. And I know this because I was married before and I was very transparent about everything that was happening in my relationship. And what ended up happening is that I became more bonded with other people who were relating to my side of the story. So like my girlfriends became a part of my relationship. My mom became a part of my relationship. Everyone has this thing because you've invited them in. So you've given them permission, but it also has taken away your ability to resolve things with your partner because you're not necessarily parroting everything back to your delegation. So as a result, you start to get further and further apart, you and your partner. So if um, Kyle's friend, Laureen, yeah. so if Laureen was her place to talk about all of these inner workings of intimate things that have been happening in a relationship, and she likely was, then having that go left a vacuum that Mauricio can't possibly fill because historically, 
she said to him, that's not your role. I am not a psychiatrist. <laughs> Welcome to Anderson's Am I right? I am not right. But I'm just saying from my experience that it does create a vacuum. And over years, that vacuum gets exponentially greater. And it's harder to kind of come back together and be like, okay, so this happened 10 years ago, which then led to this seven years ago, which led to this five. And before you know it, it's like, you don't, you don't even have a way to communicate anything. That is such a good point. Like I've just been listening. You've seen my face has been in like shock. That is such a good point. Because I think it is something that many of us do. My Mm -hmm. question to you is, what's the difference in how you might view boundaries in a relationship when it comes to a romantic relationship and a marriage like between Kyle, like the one between Kyle and Mo, and her relationship with her sisters? When it in discussion with Laureen, Teddy, other, you know, close friends. Yeah. I her So it's, so I have a sister and she's seven years younger than me. We're so different in every single way. You've met my sister. She is fabulous, by the way. I'm obsessed with her. She's going to love that. Yeah. My sister and I are very, very different. And so we've never had that dynamic of like, Oh, our parents, like, are you showing me or her more love than me? Because we don't receive and give love the same way. We've never had a situation of competitiveness. So I don't resonate with that sister dynamic as much because even with my brother, who is just a few years younger, like he was a complete star. Like he, I mean, he still is, he's always going to be a star. Um, but you know, he was, if you're listening, if you're listening, <laughs> yeah, he was, you know, the captain of the football team at Northwestern and went to the combat. Like he always had this thing. And although I was doing my things, we never had any competition. So I don't understand sibling dynamics that way, but I do understand what happens when there's three of anything. <laughs> When there's three, there's a tendency that one person is always going to kind of be on an island um, because we are naturally looking to like be supported. And sometimes the way that a lot of us feel support is through agreeing with me. So if you can get one person on your team, it automatically kind of isolates the other person. And so I see that. Um, also, you know, there's so many other issues, you know, with the way that they were raised and how they, you know, show love anyway, that it's kind of miraculous that they're able to get back together when they have falling outs, because some people aren't able to do that at all. Like, is it the healthiest situation? Probably not, but at least they're able to come back together. Paris is always a good idea. And when I schlep on over to Europe to my favorite city in the world, I bring with me a few important phrases that I have learned from housewives. C'est bon, c'est bon. Chic, c'est la vie. Je m'appelle the Countess. N'est-ce pas, Luanne? <laughs> and while those key phrases are important when speaking to any French bravoholic for other matters of life, That's where Rosetta Stone comes in. 
Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including, of course, French. It features fast language acquisition. It immerses you in so many ways. There's no English translations. So you really learn to speak, to listen, and to think in that language. It's an intuitive process. You pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. J'adore Chris Manzo. Et toi? There's a speech recognition filter, which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's convenient with desktop and app options, and it's an amazing value. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs in life. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. A steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, AGs can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Today. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. It delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Living in New York City is not easy. Just ask Sonia, trying to sell that house. There are so many mornings where I wake up and think, oh my gosh, I'm having the worst cold of my life. And I realize it's actually from allergies. When my nasal allergies flare up, and that happens when the season changes and the temps get a little warmer than they normally are, I use Astapro, and I'm amazed at how fast I'm back in the game. And that game is looking for Dorenda on the Upper East Side. Astapro always has my back and nose. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. I just came back from the salon, and for the record, I went with a sassy little bob and quiet luxury shade of blonde. Yes, that's literally what we're calling it, quiet luxury. Aside from trips to the salon, I don't actually blow out my hair. My hair is naturally wavy, and that's why I love Way. Way's new anti-frizz cream is a lightweight cream that provides immediate frizz control that lasts for up to 72 hours. I know that I have a limited amount of time with wet, wavy hair in which to get myself in order. And that is why I love the anti-frizz cream. It has notes of bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And it smells unbelievable. Believable. Truly, as someone who is a little bit sensitive to scents, I put this in my hair and I feel 
great. It also genuinely pairs well with my perfume, which I appreciate. I don't blow out my hair because after years of color processing and attempting to make it straight, I know it looks better and stays healthier when I avoid blow drying, which is why I love the anti-frizz cream. I've used products, especially with wavy hair, where it feels heavy and looks kind of wet. And that's why I love Waze Anti-Frizz Cream because it enhances the natural waves in my hair. I still look like me, just a little elevated. And P.S. I am way obsessed with Waze other bestsellers. Their leave-in conditioner, detox shampoo, my personal favorite. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E- O-U-A-I dot com and enter promo code Andy for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com with promo code Andy. Conversations around wellness and weight loss can be complicated. There's the Instagram filter we all see on IG and social media and then IRL. And between $20 smoothies and daily ice baths, everyone is doing the most to hack the health system. But there's a better way. Roe. Roe provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Roe to help them lose weight. And you can sign up from the comfort of your own home. No scheduling a doctor's appointment, commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. The Roe Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Of course, medication must be paired with diet and exercise modifications in order to achieve any stated results. Medication cost is not included in the program. Patients must pay for medication separately. With Roe, average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roco slash andyscrolls. You can sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash andyscrolls. Sign up today. In the words of Meredith Marks, when it comes to that week, week and a half before my period, I wish I was disengaging. My PMS is off the charts. Truly Uber Eats needs to check in and say, it's about that time, isn't it? I know it is. The cravings are crazy. I want to crawl out of my skin. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony and Estro Control, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. For AGs who are friends of perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause, Happy Mammoth has Hormone Harmony. It's not just a supplement for women going through those stages. It's also become a phenomenon. Women can't stop talking about it on social media. A bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code ANDYSGIRLS at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code Andy's Girls for 15% off today.
I'm engaging. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I, last night, for literally no reason, I was like, what do I feel like watching right now? Because, you know, I watch TV around the clock. Mm. It's my number one priority. And... <laughs> um. I thought to myself, I feel like watching a little bit of Kathy Kyle reunion last season. Uh-huh. So I was like, let me turn on and fast forward. I stopped at certain moments almost accidentally to see like other weird moments of awkwardness. Mm-hmm. But then I settled on Kathy v. Kyle v. Rinna, but also I think maybe it's been on my mind because of the tension between Kyle and Dorit. And damn, I mean, Kathy said, and I'm not criticizing Kathy and saying this, but just saying she literally said something along the lines of like, Kyle, you're not the victim in this. When Kyle was crying, it was just, their dynamic is just so intense. It's just a very, the Richard sisters have a very intense history, relationship to each other, inability to communicate in a way that doesn't feel absolutely defensive or punitive. It's, it is tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's hard because Kyle seemingly always wanted what Kathy and Kim had, which isn't weird for a younger sibling, you know, to want to emulate an older sibling, especially if they're doing the things that you feel like are successful or you want to be a part of, like, that's not weird. Um, I, I feel like the, as the old, so I, we have an older brother. He is our half brother, although we never differentiate, but he, he has a different mom. And so he didn't live with us until he was 14 and therefore I operate as the oldest and he operates as an only child. And it's a weird, it's, it's not weird, but that's just what it's, it's what it is, you it know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's not something that's caused an issue in Got our it. home or anything like that. But, um, yeah, it is, I'm the oldest, you know, that's how everybody treats me. And as a result, when you're the oldest, there's an expectation that you are going to be the key to the family's survival. So what happens with a lot of women, I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine. Some people are going to think I'm so crazy, but you'll see it if if you're following this. So what happens is if you're the oldest girl, then you're kind of taught one of two survival skills. Either you have to go out and make sure that you're creating opportunities for yourselves that hopefully will also open up an opportunity for your siblings or that you're doing providing enough in order to take care of, you know, the rest of your family. If you are conditioned another way, then you're told that it's your femininity, your looks, your ability to attract a man that is going to be your key to survival. So you see this kind of play out. And so for Kathy, not saying that she didn't have like, you know, beautiful 
gifts of her own, but Kathy's a Hilton. And so she did what her role was to do, protect the survival of her family. And there needs to be some type of, uh, not penance, but a recognition of that. Like I did this and therefore it literally opened the doors to Mauricio's success, which also opened the door to you being able to take care of your family. And so there's almost like this reverence that needs to be had. Then you have Kim who's like, yo, but I was holding down the fort mm-hmm. very early on. And had I not been holding down the fort, then would you be in a situation to be able to provide for the family? You know, so it's like, there's all of these things. And then Kyle's like, but look at me, I'm successful now, but they don't necessarily meet like that wasn't a part of the survival mix, if that makes any sense, you know? So they don't really give her that same respect, but she's fighting so hard for something that she may never get the way that she wants it or wants to receive it. And when it comes from expectation, what's the difference between survival and legacy? Mm. Like the fact that this is not just about survival. This is when I think of big Kathy, she's thinking, what is the legacy of what my daughters will produce? And it feels like a lot of that production, aside from being a child actor, which is a big aside, because that was seemingly a huge part of survival for the family and, and, you know, financial stability, at least in the ways that I understand it without having read House of Hilton, but also like what are my daughters achieving essentially on my behalf, maybe as a result of my parenting? What is my Mm -hmm. goal for them is to succeed, which is attached to maybe name recognition, certainly financial stability. Um, I think it gets really complicated. And there's these, these women are still, these sisters are still, attempting to kind of carry out these roles. But now you're an adult with your own family, with your own goals and legacies and whatever else. I think it ends then fame is a part of this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's so complicated. Well, proximity too. how many siblings can be within like a area code or zip code or two. Yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, yeah. I mean, I, I'm speaking to someone whose family is spread out, and I think that has led to the survival of our family. <laughs> no, I know, I, but I, I hear you. I hear you. Like, oh, my God. My sister moved to Denver about a year ago, and there's times where we're like, are you still in the same city? <laughs> well, because she lived with us for a while. Like, she lived with us kind of like inadvertently lived with us for like two months because she was like, oh, I guess I'll leave. She was a digital nomad. I was like, if you don't have any place to go, then don't just be up and going somewhere to go. And then she decided to get an apartment. And and it's like the first time in our adult lives that we've lived in the same city as adults together. And that's like, oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's, God, it gets so complicated. And thinking about a little bit of what you said um, before about wanting to protect your relationship and how you communicate it to other people. 
the impact of reality TV in that. Because when Kyle is talking about, or Kim is talking about, or Kathy is talking about their relationship, there's an expectation because of the setup of the show Mm -hmm. that you are going to be externalizing regardless of how you feel. And maybe some of that externalizing is strategic. But that that expectation exists. The expectation with Kyle and Mo, LOL, we're kind of getting in reverse also exists. Like, that we want to understand what's happening behind closed doors. And so in that space, like boundaries are counter to your career. And to add another layer to that, so many people are like, reality television, it's been like my therapy. Reality TV is not therapy, okay? Because what you're getting, and it distorts the history or the memory of what actually took place because you're getting these snippets. And then depending on where the story's going, those snippets are supporting the storytelling. It's not supporting you, your journey or your healing. So when people say that, like, oh yeah, I watched it back. And it's like, even if it was a positive thing, like, oh, I didn't realize this was a you know, quirk in my personality or character flaw or something like that, you're still not getting a full picture of yourself. You're not getting a full picture of anything. So to like be more transparent on reality television than some people are being in the privacy of therapy, I don't know if that's necessarily a great thing either. Yeah. And then there are the moments where these episodes, these conversations can just leave a few of you are feeling aggravated because sometimes mm-hmm. there are difficult conversations that are happening, but there's the added lens of a cast member assuming that they're supposed to also be performing drama or entertainment or the show doing that with the edit. Yeah. And then you're left yeah. with what the fuck am I supposed to feel about that? Like I think about it through what Crystal experienced with you know, Erica's jokes about her ED. Mm-hmm. I think about it with what we just watched on the most recent episode between Garcelle and Dorit. Like, there's a real gap here between how some people are processing what they're watching on TV and how other people, sometimes the cast, certainly, but also the audience, tries to take away or minimize that experience by saying, well, it's just entertainment. You're thinking too yeah. much. You're taking it too far. Yeah. It's always interesting when that flip happens because I see it on Potomac with Giselle and Candace. Like Giselle and Giselle has always been willing to play ball. Like she's been willing to play ball in a way that most of the other castmates aren't in the name of this is entertainment. Like, Giselle is a producer. She, you know, she, she understands. Yeah. 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 So, but now she is at a point, which I think is only hurting the show where she's not willing to play that ball with Candace. She's not, she has, she's put a hard line in the sand because of whatever her reasons were, like because of what Candace said, because of the interact or the action or activity of Kevin help us all Twitter X. Um, she's, she's said no, like she's not going to play. And it's disappointing because on one hand, you're like, 
but you playing has gotten you guys this far, which has been one of the most successful franchises on Bravo. But when you're saying I'm absolutely not moving, like this is, I'm, I'm not going to come around on this and being so, so passionate about it for so many episodes, then she's made the switch. Like where it's like, this is what we're doing because it's the entertainment, but now it's not entertainment anymore. And I just don't think as a viewer, and I actually really love Giselle. She's a lovely person in person. And um, I really like the way that she kind of moves because she does allow that self-deprecating thing to happen. Um, But she's at a point where I'm like, girl, you got to get unstuck (laughs) because if you don't, you got to get unstuck and it's got to be hard. Like, I know it's hard for me. I do a daily show and sometimes I am not feeling certain things and it is hard to be in front of a camera and act when you're not an actress because some things are just written all over your face. You ain't got to say a word, you know, that's how I am. And that's how a lot of people on, on reality TV are, but you got to get past it. Otherwise you're going to tank it not only for yourself, but for other people. Here's the impossible question that everyone seems to have an answer to, but none of us really know. Um, What do you think should happen with the cast for next season of Potomac? What changes would you recommend making, if any? Um, I I know. That's tough. That's really tough. And I think they need to acknowledge that that's the conversation that's being had. Because I think that um, they're really on the verge of messing up a really great thing um, because there's so much ego involved. And it, mm-hmm. I, I, ugh. so I think sometimes you get into a place where you have the ability to overplay your hand and you don't see it as overplaying your hand because everything around you has been so big and you've had this opportunity to um, kind of stake your claim in this franchise. Obviously, this is one of the most consistent casts in all of the franchises, and that is their superpower. Um, So they have to get to a place of understanding that. I don't think NECA is necessary to return. just because it seems as though her only storyline is the takedown of Wendy. And I don't like that on a very cellular cellular and visceral level. I think it brings nothing to the show. I think it was very on the nose to have divisiveness between your two Nigerian women. It very much breeds like there's not enough room for everyone. And because NECA contributed to that, whether that was intentional or not, I don't see there being a place for her on the show. Um, Unless she shows us something, (laughs) you know, like unless she shows up for something. But I didn't like that at all. Um, I don't know. I don't know about the Ashley situation. Now that she's... Yeah, it's like, it gets to a point where, of course, people are going to hide certain things in their lives. But when your authenticity isn't outweighed by your, well, how should I say this, your ability to perform 
outweighs the authenticity and there isn't a balance there, that's when I think that it's time to maybe look at a at casting decisions. And I think for Ashley, who I have enjoyed a lot, um, I don't know if there's anything authentic there. It's hard to it's hard to grab onto something that isn't real. Yeah. And the thing that we're sort of not allowed to talk about because of the legal ramifications is this fucking lawsuit. So we can't even talk about whether or not, and by we, I mean like members of the cast, can't even talk about whether or not Ashley's being inauthentic and and Mm -hmm. having this kind of hands off, we're not going to talk about this, everything is fine. And also I have no control over what Michael does, which is sort of neither here nor there when it comes to the impact of all of this. We're not able to talk about it because certainly Candace has been advised not to. And I don't know right. what Ashley's been instructed to do, if anything. I mean, it's that's a big issue for the show in filming. Yeah. We can't even acknowledge that it exists. It's what they call nasty work. Yeah. It's super nasty work. And honestly, I don't know what the... It almost... What is it? can we get Bravo docket on this? Isn't there like an anti slap or something? Because it seems as though he's just using his resources in order to bring Candace down in something that most of us could just like, I don't know if we have eyes and ears watch and listen to everything that he has done on that show and think, did Candace go too far? Did she? I don't know if she did. You know, and also if you think it's something that's helping your wife slash ex-wife slash wife, it's not because to me, that's part of the reason why people are like, do we need Ashley? Because if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to go along, like you, you have no control over the situation at all. You couldn't have stepped in and said, or gone against him in some way. Well, actually she can't because financially she's still tied to him clearly. So yeah, I don't, I think this situation could definitely put her on the chopping block, Ashley on the chopping block for sure. I wonder if Michael cares. I, you would think Michael's a businessman. So you would think that he would understand that her holding on to this opportunity is probably just best for both of them even especially if he doesn't have to be a part of it. Yeah, he's a businessman, but Michael is also Michael. So when in the entirety of our experience watching him, has he ever really centered Ashley except when it also benefited him and maybe benefited him the most? Right. But that was their agreement. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm, I'm not saying that to be like, no, I hear you. Not to be facetious. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was it was the agreement that they made. I mean, you talk about like transparency. Erica Jane said exactly like, thank you for just calling a thing a thing. Nobody's trying to like drag you further because you had an arrangement with a man. Like clearly that worked for you for decades until it absolutely catastrophically did not. But at least say it. And she said it like, I want something that's real. I want something that wasn't an arrangement. Girl, okay. Speak on it more. Tell us all about it. 
I watched um, Beverly Hills uh, this morning again for the 18th time this week. And um, fuck, man, it's a great episode for Erica Jane. She just feels yeah. lighter. She feels grounded, more connective. She feels more human. She feels more real. It's mm -hmm. just she's having a, a really good season, I think. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I, I would agree with that without, you know, having to relitigate everything that yeah. happened. I think that um, ultimately, if we are to believe, and my brand is the comeback, I believe everyone's deserving of the comeback they're willing to earn. Um, and, you know, there's a penance to be paid for everything. And I really feel like this year has really shown us like it's been happening. We're big powerful um people of prestige um have been taken down anytime you get something from like nefarious and nefarious means um by lying cheating you know whatever like you will rise but there's going to come a time when the mask has to be pulled off and every single person that you wronged like will you will be stripped in front of those people like they will see your downfall. And that has, you know, social currency and consequences as well. So I think just being honest, I, I appreciated her be, being honest in that moment. I also appreciated her not being woke, but waking the F up to be like, this is why you can't say this to Garcelle. You know, like, I was like, whoa, okay. All right, well, here we are say it all because once you say a thing you can say whatever you want <laughs> i'm just over here like no i love this you're like rocking in your office chair i'm like I yes could i could literally continue this episode all day um speaking of that moment what was your reaction to it with what garcelle said to with what dorit said to garcelle garcelle said to dorit erica's response yeah garcelle um is in fed up mode and i can understand it there is a time where, when essentially people are asking, why can't Garcelle give Dorit grace for people who are defending Dorit? And the reason why you don't get grace in this moment is this isn't the first, the second, the third, or the fourth time that you have been on some, on some stuff. Okay. At this time, like at you have, Garcelle has afforded this woman so much grace. And that's what we have to do as Black women. Like, because if the moment that someone says something that is uh, racially insensitive or a micro or macro aggression, if we jumped up, first of all, we would be tired all the time. So there is a learning, like there's a curve. Some people will meet it every single time head on. God bless you. That's not my ministry because I have to prioritize, you know, my peace. And I feel like Garcelle's a really great prioritizer of peace. But Garcelle has dealt with so much. So at this point, this was a shots fired moment. Like I am not going to temper my response with you, lady. This is what it is. I have warned you so many times. I have tried to e educate you. It is not my job to educate you. So you gonna get the smoke. And she was, Dorit was wrong. And Garcelle just met her, her with the same energy that she gave her. Garcelle could have taken some serious energy and been like, how many times do I have to tell you? She didn't say that. She said, I didn't attack you. Basically, watch your mouth. 
that didn't happen. And I don't have to teach you. And then for Erica to pop in like, well, I'm going to teach you. Like, it was like, whoa, Mm -hmm. what is happening here? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And then Dorit turned tail and ran. Because she knew she knew she was wrong, but she knew that she wasn't getting supported the way that she's used to being supported. So I, I don't know what to tell you, girl. The thing that I found so interesting was that at, I literally had to write it down because I was like, LOL, in light of what we've seen on social. Dorit said, I understand, I apologize, and I will never use that word again in the future. So Dorit, who's saying in real time, who maybe feels this in real time. First off, I don't understand why you're calling me privilege, and I don't understand why using the word attacked with you is problematic in ways it might not be if I used it with Sutton, which LOL, she absolutely did not. And Sutton was coming at her much, much harder and for a longer period of time than Garcelle was. There's like no comparison between the Mm -hmm. interactions that we saw in that episode. But all things being said, you know, she had that moment of saying to Garcelle, you know, I essentially, um, can you teach me? And Garcelle said, no. And her response was like, well, you did. She then says the thing of, I understand. So the the mission of AG, normalize changing your mind based on new information. Dorit seemingly in real time thought to herself in her little Dorit brain and said, oh my God, I fucked up. I don't understand, or maybe I didn't understand why. Maybe I still don't, but regardless, I'm taking responsibility for it and I'm not going to do it again, which is a wonderful thing to say out loud but the important, I mean, LOL on me using, I mean, there's a wink there. But the yeah. important part of that is not doing the thing again. And yet Dorit, in the run up to the episode, took to social media and made a joke out of it. She captioned her photo in her supermodel hoodie and her supermodel crew neck, happily living in my bubble with a little bubble emoji. She got slammed. There's over, there's almost 7,000 comments on that post. And then the next post that she did was doing it again. She posted a photo with her family, which is to me, pretty manipulative, and said, the only bubble I live in is a love bubble, sending so much love to everyone for a happy and joyous holiday season. LOL. If this is Dorit's version of love, who would want to receive it? Mm-hmm. That, that, no, I don't know. <laughs> she said, I'm sorry I won't do it again. She couldn't even last until the episode aired by yeah. making a joke of a microaggression. You can argue that she made a mistake. You know, um, people are not treating her well. She will, she's learning from this until you see her social media. She did not yeah. stop and take a breath before she tried to use this as an LOL. I find it fascinating though, because it's like, if I said something to offend you and you were like, uh, Erica, you can't, you can't say that. Like, that's not cool or whatever it was. Like, I would immediately be like, oh my gosh, I am really sorry. I did not like that. That was a really ignorant thing to say. I wasn't, that's not what I meant, but it doesn't matter because it's the impact. I would be like tripping all over myself to let you know that that is not who I am. 
And what gets me is like, people are going to say stupid, wrong, irrational things because when you say enough things, you're going to say the things you shouldn't occasionally. Like it's going to happen. Now, is it going to be a, it's going to be a spectrum, obviously. (laughs) Some things aren't going to be as horrific as others, but you're going to say a wrong thing here and there. What gets me is the idea that people are more upset about the calling out or the correction of the behavior than to just be like, damn, I messed up. Like, I won't do that again. Which in that moment, especially when Garcelle said her piece, like, it's not my job to educate you. Erica jumps in, who historically has been on uh, Dorit's side. Kyle is like, mom's the word. Like, I, I, didn't feel, I didn't feel like a lot of, you know, anything from Kyle. And Dorit's on an island. That should tell you something. Like, you're on the wrong side of this, girl. Just correct it in the moment. I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, I, I didn't realize, you know, I should have. I didn't. I did the wrong thing. But to be so offended, it's like, how are you going to be offended about you offending me? That's what I'm getting. Like that's to me when people are like Garcelle's privilege. Yes, Garcelle is a woman of privilege. No one is denying that the girl got it going on. That doesn't change her experience as a black woman in this country or a black woman in Hollywood. Two things can be true at the same time. But it's like you want me to apologize for my response to you offending me. Where they do that at? Where, I don't understand. It's like I apologize all the time. I do. And it's fine. Like, and I try not to do it again. And if I do it again, then I'm like, damn, what is it going to take? Because the thing about when you are forgiven for something and you try to rectify it in some way, if you continue to make those same mistakes over and over, the stakes for said mistake get higher and higher until your ass gets burned. And Dorit got her ass burned. That's what happened. So you can continue to do the same stupid stuff over and over, but the stakes are going to be so much higher. The consequences just continue to get higher. Yeah. And there's a certain, I'm talking while I'm still literally nodding my head at what you said. There's a, there's a segment of the audience that's like, my God, like the temperature is getting hotter and hotter. Like how unfair for Dorit that they're still continuing that. And it's, it is, it exists and it's a pretty significant, um, uh, it's a pretty significant size of the audience that feels that way. It's just so interesting that Dorit's response to it isn't like, wow, that was a very, the temperature was very hot. The temperature was very Mm. high. Maybe I should make the temperature lower. And I will, if we're only thinking about it through Dorit's experience, I will feel better. Mm. She does the opposite of that. She like triples down on social hours before the episode aired and continue continues it she has another mm-hmm. post making yeah. light of this b- 
but to me, manipulatively using her family and her kids to maybe minimize comments, which she still kept up. And at a certain point, if you are keeping a post up when you know you fucked up and are opening the keeping the comments open, to me, it appears like Dorit wants to ensure that she looks like the victim because she's keeping up comments that are going to be really very critical, certainly insulting. And she's not she's not limiting any of that, but she's also not removing the post. So like, what is the lesson we are trying to learn here? What is the perspective we are trying to enforce? Is it that people are bullying Dorit? Because that to me is like what I am assuming she's feeling because that is the behavior that I see her experience and exhibit, certainly in that scene and in others. Like, how dare you criticize me? How dare you say things that I don't understand, but I know that I disagree? And then if I'm seeing Erica back up something I disagree with, well, wait, maybe I need to take a moment because I I don't have any friends in the room sticking up for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take to social media to stick up for myself. Yeah. Um, Dorit is desperate right now. That's the thing we're not saying. And desperate times call for desperate measures. Like, she is grasping at straws at this time. And like, honestly, we've seen so many housewives, you know, suffer this potentially last season fate, but hers is like, it, it is, it's crazy to see. Like it really is because she's been such a, she has been such the Instagram housewife where nothing really had to be real. It just had to look real enough. And I think that it's at a point where clearly it's catching up to them. I have never heard or seen anyone be constantly gatekeeping and checking for glam. Like, do they have glam? Like, child, is this the first time that you've ever heard of glam? If she asks if somebody else has glam one more time, I am going to come through the television and beat her face myself. And I mean that in the glam With glam. With glam. Yes. Yes. (laughs) We're using the face that makeup artists everywhere know why. Yes. And and slay her face. Yes. Um, because I was like, oh Lord, that was the first, that was one of many indications that I'm like, oh, the jig is, up. it might be time to pay the piper. And how are they going to, how are they going to maneuver this? How is she going to maneuver it? It's, I just think she's really desperate and she's doing desperate things. Also, isn't it high time to talk about the debt conversation? How how has Dorit existed on Beverly Hills for this many years and we still have not had a real conversation about the rumors, the lawsuits, the everything else dealing with PK's debt? Like that is nuts to me that she might leave the show because a person I guess could argue maybe her storyline has run out or she no longer has a storyline and there's a big fucking storyline that hasn't been utilized like what the fuck is happening with production like I don't obviously Dorit's not going to be like um dear diary (laughs) like just check my bank of America balance and I have some things to say like 
nobody is referencing it as far as cast members. That's to me not a cast member issue. That's a production issue of like, mm -hmm. why isn't this being brought up? Why aren't we having even just one awkward conversation about it? Like, where is that noise? Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, it certainly shows you how powerful of an alliance they've had for many, many years that it's come up like it's been referenced before, but it's quickly, you know, it quickly goes to something else. It's, it's an odd thing. Like we all know someone, especially in the social media society where you're like, okay, it's not my business what's happening in people's bank accounts or their bedrooms. But when you're putting things on certain display the, and the math don't math. It's like, why do I have to gaslight my ability to do just basic grocery store math? Like, why oh, let, make it make it make sense? Why do I have to take a pause from what I know to be one plus one equals two, and you coming up with two hundred and twenty-two? Why do I have to pause my ability to do math? <laughs> like, I I don't understand. And that's what that's what she. And she represents so many other people who it's like, this is my life. This is my lifestyle. But you're like, this don't even make any damn sense. Like, I'm not trying to hate. I'm just trying to say this doesn't make any sense. And why do we have to act like this is possible for you? 1000%. And I'm saying that recording from the literal office where I make a point on almost every episode, let alone on social of being like, I don't have money. I've gotten I've sourced this from like sample sales over the course of a couple years, like, which is a two parter. One is more power to how anybody wants to spend their money, but I don't have the money to spend in the way of buying any of this close to full retail. And also the like, <laughs> little uh, two hander under there of like, there is a stereotype. And I don't know if it's a microaggression or what that like Jews have all of this money because they're oh. running the bank and they're coming for yours. And I just want to make very clear that I don't have my own money <laughs> coming for anybody else's. So it's like the anti-Semitism of it is the thread and the like self hey, wow. yada yada is the thread of me wanting to make clear like I don't, you know, you know what I'm saying? And also like, you know, I can be a smart shopper. I shop too much, but I yeah. know where to get shit 90% off, you know, like but Sarah, like you your life and your life, like you work super hard. That makes total sense. No, I mean, people are going to think what they want to think. It's yeah. when you're flying private. And they do. <laughs> you, yeah, like, <laughs> I, I understand. Yeah. I'm no, like, no, if no, one totally. more person says that I'm married to some old white man, I'm going to mm -hmm. lose my, first of all, uh, thank you. But <laughs> I am the older one. Thank you. <laughs> He's my tender Roni. Okay. Yes. Uh, my young thing. I don't even know if I use that right. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm obsessed with it. That man is my young thing. Okay. Tenderoni. Oh my God. I am the older one. Okay. <laughs> it's like people want to make things. I'm like, okay. I Same thing as a content creator. It's like, yes, I understand a lot of this is content, but also there has to be like some transparency there. Like I talked to Sai at a uh, BravoCon and that was the, the number one thing I talked to her about. I'm like, thank you for showing what it actually takes because I have four jobs. Okay. I, my team, yes, absolutely travels with me, but one of my jobs 
just takes care of my team. I make no money on that because I give it all back to my team because I have to. It's like to take or to make money, you have to spend money in this game. And it's a strategic choice, like so many choices. Like I, I'm very transparent too, because I'm like, my car is 10 years old. I have that car until the wheels fall off because that car pays me. Like it leases back to, so there's all of these games that we do. And this is going to lead into because Buffy Purcell from married to med formally, which we will, um, we will get into on taking it personally, but tell me, yes. tell me the connection. So she's uh, like my financial guru. I listen to everything. I consult her on the biggest things because I want to ensure that I am handling business properly and I'm making good sound choices. And that woman knows her stuff and she has helped me tremendously over the years. So yeah, so I think it, the, the transparency is important, but this all goes back to Dorit faking the funk for years. And now it's time to pay. The, the man is in her pocket, as my, my mother would say. You got the man in your pocket. Did you just say faking the funk? Yeah. Love that. Yeah. She's been faking the funk for years and it was cute. Nice gowns, honey. Beautiful gowns. Beautiful gowns. <laughs> but ciao. It's it is it is it's literally nuts because it doesn't mean that the rumors are true. But the fact that we're not even like referencing the rumors after 17 years of her being on this show is wild. That is because you would also think, P.S., that would be if the even conversation of it adds tension to Dorit and P.K.'s relationship, you would think we would be unpacking that tension on, mm. I don't know, an episode of this show that we happen to be watching. I, well, Dorit still has a sympathetic play here because I'm not soon forgetting about that break-in anytime soon in my life. And regardless of what people's conspiracies about it are, I do believe that that woman was blindsided. 100%. 100%. 100%. is trauma on trauma like keeps me up at night when a dude was trying to get in in my house while I was in the shower yeah I'm sure I've told that story but um yeah I don't think that you have yeah I, I was home getting ready for work it was a Friday morning 9 a.m and I was in the shower and I heard footsteps in my house yeah and he had scaled my home and he was at, like trying to break into my house but like the way that my house is um you could hear like you can't tell if someone's like below you or above you necessarily especially not in the shower so i was in the shower and my phone was chiming 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 and it was the multiple cameras and showing me somebody was on the premises and i got out and i didn't know where he was and i hid in my closet naked and wet until the police finally arrived and they were able to apprehend him like a block away from our home. And he's been in jail for the past three years. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and I never even, thankfully, because our camera system, we never, he never saw me. So I didn't have to like testify. I don't like walk the streets thinking like this person knows who I am. You know, like it's, yeah, 
So that is very real. So she does get sympathy from me for that. Um, But the rest of it, I think it's just been maybe not the story. Erica protected her a lot because her story was so much more interesting than her Dorit being in debt. Um, first off, Jesus, I'm, that is t- absolutely terrifying. And I cannot imagine what I would have done in your position. And in watching the reunion last night, I did watch some of those moments where Dorit was trying to describe her decision making at that time in which she mm. was thinking of her kids and how to yeah. protect her kids and staying calm and just the trauma of the shock of that and the ways that like shock can just uh, inhabit your body yeah. for God only knows how long a period of time that the protection, the nervousness, the fact that she has mentioned on prior eps this season asking for, you know, how many people are going to be at this event so that I can prepare myself so that I'm Mm -hmm. not surprised. Like the danger of feeling surprised when it comes to that and protecting your home. It's just it's it's terrifying. It's literally terrifying. And so as you said, many things can be true at once, like dragging Dorit for um, behavior that she has exhibited on an episode or LOL, a series of episodes does not negate trauma that she has experienced as a result of that robbery and maybe other stuff that we just don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, the idea that she stopped down or she was able to think, because that's the thing, it's like, you have to think on such a deep level. Like when the whole thing, the whole series of events happen over about 15 minutes. It took the police maybe about five to seven minutes to get there, which I was very grateful for. I considered that a very quick response. And it was multiple vehicles. There were 10 uh, police cars surrounding my home. Um, and when I came out, I was able to come out on the balcony. I was too scared. I was in my room, so I was too scared to leave. But my dog, thank the Lord, had come run up to my bedroom door and I could see his tail underneath. He was facing away from the door and I could see him like his tail underneath the door, which is how I knew no one was in the house or at least not in front of him because he would have been barking that somebody was there. So I knew I was okay to open that door. But when I first went out onto the balcony, and at that point, I was solid as, I I can't even describe who it was. Like it was, the police actually took my, the recording of my 911 call and are, use it for training videos of how to do a 911 call. Like they asked me for permit, like, would you be okay? Like they because it was, because what happens, no one ever knows what you're going to do in a situation like that. But my first thought was, I, I didn't have, it was just me and my dog there. So I didn't have to think about anyone else. Had I had to think about someone else, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I had children there. But I straight up was like, this is who I am. This is my name. This is my address. I am a Black woman. I have twists in my hair. I'm like, I am the homeowner the assailant is a white male. Please. I am a black woman. Like I was so specific because when I came out and I was solid, I came out to my balcony in my bedroom 
and I had 10 guns pointing at me. And above me, like I'm out on like a little Juliet balcony and I have 10 guns. And that's when everything in my body just drained and my entire body went into shock. I fell down the stairs because I couldn't like get my legs underneath me. So that's when shock got like really kicked in and my whole body was vibrating. So I understand like what happens when it's like, okay, you're concentrating and then it's like, you're safe somehow, but when you're safe is when the panic like really kicks in. So when she's talking about the PTSD, I don't, I don't think that she's trying to overplay it. I just think that when you're in certain situations, it it has a tendency to kick in in that way, but you just don't know. Like I would never judge anyone's trauma or situation like that because you do not know how you're going to handle a situation like that. And everybody handles situations differently. And Mm -hmm. the fact that some of the trauma response can kick in weeks after the fact, I mean, it's just, it's incredibly complicated. Our minds and bodies are incredibly complicated. And um, it's, it's, I'm so sorry that happened to you. I'm so sorry. sorry. But I think it's an important, I I'm so thankful for your vulnerability throughout the course of this episode, because I think, um, it can be, it can be really clarifying and also connective. And Mm. for anyone who maybe has questions about Dorit's response, about Dorit asking how many people are going to be at Sutton's party or whichever event it was, like the fact that's really that that is really connected to what she is still experiencing because there is no clock on PTSD. There's no clock on trauma. It can it changes your DNA, can live inside of your bones without maybe you recognizing it or maybe with you recognizing it. And it's still being there. I mean, it's it's just incredibly, incredibly complicated. Um, and that is a story that I appreciate being told by Dorit. You know, that is something um, that can be really helpful to people. Um, yeah. At least have people feel seen and, and heard, which is important. Yeah. No, for sure. So see, I can... I've, I'm- both ends of the spectrum. Like I, I empathize with her in that regard, but I also think the man's in her pocket. (laughs) What does the man's in her pocket? Not to be like a dumb, dumb man's in her pocket, meaning like, meaning like her, her money is only because of PK. No, no, no. The man in your pocket. Oh, like the IRS? Yeah. It's like, yeah. So my mom will be like, and she'll come to our house and tell Anthony, Anthony be like, why are all the lights off? And she's like, I'm trying to get the man out your pocket, like the bill collector. So you don't, so that, yeah, man. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) There are just so many men. Honestly, it's hard to keep them straight and they're all I don't know if that's a Southern colloquialism. I I don't know if it's a black thing. It's just keep the man out your pocket. I am so into that. I feel like there's a lot that I have learned that I am going to be adding <laughs> to my book of words. Um, and considering the fact that I often repeat phrases over and over and over and because they just at this point live in my bones, it's good to introduce new ones. <laughs> now and again. You know what I'm saying? Um, listen, Erica Cobb, we are going to switch gears and discuss my favorite show on an episode. Um, certainly this show uh, absolutely has been one of my faves. Uh, can you tell the AGs a little bit about your pod and social media show, where they can follow you on social, watch you on TV, all that and more? Yes. 
Um, I am at Erica Cobb on all socials except for TikTok, which is I am Erica Cobb. So it's basically I America Cobb. Um, a few, a few mentions. Oh, also Daily Blast Live. You can watch that um, on YouTube or check your local listings. That's my daytime talk show. I wanted to add just a couple things um, because I sent them to you. Um, Ashlyn, Jade's girlfriend on uh, Beverly Hills, is the daughter of the late great David Arnold, the comedian. And David passed away less than a year. I believe before this was filmed. So September of 2022. So I think a lot of the interaction and the way that they are, are with Ashlyn might have something to do with the fact that this young daughter or this young girl just lost her dad, um, which hasn't been talked about, but um, yeah, the way that Jade's like, I want to, I'll, I'll stay with you while you're sleeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. Wow. So she doesn't feel alone. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's, that's yeah. a really incredible point. And I'm assuming that Garcelle probably had a relationship or knew David. They've been in the game for a very long time, and it was very unexpected. So I just wanted to add that because I think that I that's that. something people might be missing. But yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my, this has been literally, if this is the way to start out 2024, I am extremely here for it. I genuinely, it's like dumb to be like, this is one of my favorite episodes for the year because we are literally just beginning the year. But I'm going to tell you, circle back in December of 2024, and uh, this is going to be um, a top five Kiki. So I'm so appreciative for you, to you for coming on. Speaking of appreciation, join the Andy's Girls Patreon, number one way to support the pod. You get exclusive bonus episodes like one that is up with my live reaction to the Vanderpump Rules um, uh, trailer <laughs> a couple weeks late on. But welcome to my life. I really it's 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 almost scary how easy it is for me to not watch things <laughs> for extended periods of time. Um, content creator of the year, let me tell you. And also my thoughts on the newest episode of Miami, which was honestly magnificent. Um, so get those apps and so much more at patreon.com slash Girls. Follow me on Instagram and threads at Dame Galley, Erica Cobb. Happy New Year. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening and we will chat with you soon. Bye-bye.